Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. We're looking at prophecy, we'll be looking at history, and we'll be taking journeys backwards and forwards to see what all these things uh, have a relevance, what relevance they have on us today, now living in the last days, because it's an issue that uh, is pertinent because we're living in the last days. The signs of the times all around us show us clearly that the end is very near. And uh, in the Bible, we're told in Revelation chapter 18, we're given a call of a very special message that comes in the last days. This message is represented by an angel. In verse 1, it says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. Of course, we know that this angel, this fourth angel in Revelation 18, uh, comes with the power to give the loud cry, or the latter rain. It's the message that will arrest the attention of the whole world to hear what the angel has to say. And uh, the angel continues, and this is what he says, and he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon, the great, is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Very, very solemn message message that deals with Babylon and devils and uh, a serious warning regarding that. Why is this taking place in the last days? This is what we want to understand. Why is the book of Revelation talking about Babylon? And why is Babylon has become a habitation of devils? And what relevance does that have on me and you today living in the last days? This is what we want to examine today, what Babylon is. And in order to understand that, we need to go back in history and find out lessons that are contained in the story of Babylon. And an important principle that we find in Scripture time and again is the principle of the literal and the spiritual. And many times in the Bible we find that there are literal events and literal stories that happened that contain spiritual lessons and spiritual truths. Sometimes they're called types, sometimes they're little uh, situations that have been recorded in the Bible as a special lesson of instruction for God's people in the last days. And since the angel talks about Babylon being fallen in the book of Revelation, we need to go back to literal Babylon and see what lessons can we learn from the literal story of Babylon that can help us understand what is happening in spiritual Babylon in the last days to help us identify it and see what we can uh, learn about the gods that are worshipped in Babylon, the gods of Babylon. Of course, we all know the story in Daniel uh, is the story of the literal kingdom of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar, of course, one day was wondering what would happen and uh, after his kingdom and what would happen in the future. And of course, he received a dream from God, probably the most famous dream in this world. The dream uh, recorded in Daniel chapter 2. And of course, the king woke up in the morning, didn't remember the dream. We know the story. He called his magicians and astrologers. They could not tell him what the dream was. But there was one man, Daniel, who had a prayer meeting with his friends and requested the God of heaven to reveal to them the dream. And of course, God revealed the dream. So Daniel went into the king and told the king the dream that he had. Of course, when Daniel began to share with the king the dream, the dream uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had was, uh, he was, it was refreshed in his mind. Of course, Daniel told him, you, O king, saw a great image, and this great image whose brightness was excellent stood before you. And uh, the king was remembering, these are the things that he had seen in his dream. And Daniel continued, told the king that the image was made up of different metals. The head was made of gold and represented Babylon. 
The chest and arms were made of silver and represented the next kingdom, Medo-Persia. The thighs were made of brass. His legs were made of iron and the feet were part iron and part clay, more clay. Of course, as the king was watching, he remembers he saw a stone, Daniel said, that was cut out with that hands. It came and smote the image on his feet of iron and clay and destroyed the entire image. And then when the whole image was destroyed, we're told that the stone grew and filled the whole earth. Of course, in this dream is represented the outline of history from the time of Babylon down to the time when we're living now and onward. And the, very, uh, the next great event that will happen is that stone that will be cut out with that hands. That's when God himself will set up a kingdom never to pass away. That's the kingdom that Christ will be the king of, and we can be the subjects in that kingdom. A kingdom that will fill the whole earth. Of course, you can imagine the surprise and shock of the king. All his magicians, astrologers, could not tell him the dream. And here is this young Hebrew uh, slave that has been educated in the system of Babylon, and he tells him the dream. And of course, Daniel did not take any credit to himself. He attributed all the credit to the God of heaven. The king was so impressed that we're told in Daniel 2.47, this is what he said. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. What an incredible testimony. When we give praise and glory to God, it is a convincing testimony. The king, a heathen king, the Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar is described as the worst of the heathen, gives a testimony of recognition to the God of Daniel. Now, of course, as time went on, the king must have forgotten about his conviction because uh, there came a time when the king decided that he had a great idea that also had to do with an image. And in Daniel 3.1, this is what happens. Nebuchadnezzar, we're told, the king made an image of gold whose height was three square cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Now this time the king thought he would improve on the plan that God had. He didn't like his kingdom to pass away. He decided to build a, an image. And this time he made the image entirely of gold to represent that his kingdom would last from that time all the way to the end. And uh, he compelled people to do something. This is what was requested of the people. And this is where the story gets very interesting as we look at the parallels in this story of literal Babylon. The reason why we're visiting this as we're going to see some parallels that will help us understand what is happening now in the last days. This was the command given, Daniel 3.6, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So simply we see here the issue at that time in Babylon was over which point? It was the issue of worship. Now I want to ask you a question, because this is a point that... Uh, we need to understand when it comes to the relationship between our spiritual or our, uh, religious life and also the relationship between the political world that we live in and the governments of this world. When it comes to worship and the Bible talks worship, is that a religious issue, you think, or is that a political issue? That's a religious issue. It's an issue that deals with our faith and our understanding of who God is. But then when it comes to a point where it says there are laws that are made and the breaking of these laws will bring about a punishment. Is that a religious or a political or a government issue? It's a government issue. It's an issue that only governments of nations can pass laws. So here we see the story in Babylon. We're finding that there was a union between a religious aspect and a political aspect, a civil aspect, coming together to enforce worship. 
Now, this is very important because we'll come to that a little later in the last days. The exact same thing will happen. And we learned that from the story of uh, the kingdom of Babylon. Of course, as we look at the literal and the spiritual, we find that there are lessons important for us to understand. You remember that uh, when that image was set up, there was a group of young people who refused to go along with the decree. Of course, these young people were in the minority, which tells us that in the last days there will be a group of people who will not go along with the dictates of Babylon, and they will also be in the minority. And these three Hebrew boys, of course, this is what they told the king in Daniel 3.18. They said, we will not worship uh, your image, O king. They said, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Issue was over, worship. Now, these three Hebrew boys worshipped the true God of heaven. They were not interested in worshipping the image, the gods of Babylon. Now, of course, worshipping the image, the king had set up this image, it was a symbol, bowing down to the image, was a symbol of loyalty and allegiance to the kingdom of Babylon, and a symbol that they, each one who bowed down believed that the kingdom of Babylon would also last forever, and they were pledging their allegiance to see that to the end. Now, these three Hebrew boys were present in that prayer meeting and they knew the interpretation of the dream with Daniel. They knew that the project of the king was faulty. They could not give any sanction to it. They did not give their loyalty or their worship to that. Now this represents a group of people in the last days who will do the same thing. You see, the kingdoms of this world are setting up to last for the next thousand years or so. But there is a kingdom that is coming, and the question in the last days will be, where will your loyalties be placed? Who will you worship? And this is really what we learned from that story. If we go back to Revelation, now we see the parallels of what happened back then happening again. Revelation 13, 2-4, it says, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. Here we see an issue that affects the whole world. Not only here in Australia, not just in the South Pacific, but it's a worldwide issue that deals with somebody having great authority and affecting the whole world so that the whole world wanders after the beast. Now this beast, we're going to see who it is, but this beast gets his power and his authority from the dragon. Now, who is this dragon and what happens with that? Let's see what the Bible tells us. It says, and they worship the dragon in the next verse, which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So you see the similarities. The issue in the book of Revelation is over. Worship. The issue back in the kingdom of Babylon was over. Worship. And just like the issue was enforced by laws exacting the death decree for those who do not worship, we find the same thing in the book of Revelation. But a very interesting point we need to not miss. When it talks about worshipping the dragon, who is the dragon that is being worshipped? Well, the Bible tells us exactly that. In Revelation 12.9, it tells us who the dragon is. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth. The whole world. So in the last days, according to the book of Revelation, we're going to have a deception that will bring about a false worship across the whole world, and that worship will go to the dragon, to the devil. And this issue will be so important 
that the civil powers will be called to assist in that. Notice what it tells us in Revelation 13, 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and to cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Does that sound familiar? Sounds just like what happened in Babylon. Whosoever does not worship was going to be killed. This is why the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, it uses the terms that we can go back in the Old Testament and learn about. The term Babylon points us back to Babylon. As we look at the literal story of Babylon, we learn spiritual truths for the last days. Whosoever doesn't worship will be killed. Here we see a union of a religious issue or religious power with the civil power to enact laws that will affect the worship. Now friends, very important to keep in mind, who is receiving this worship? It is the devil. In other words, there will be laws enacted in the governments of this world that will force people to either worship the devil or die. Now that's a serious issue. Now keep in mind how the devil does this. We'll just go back a minute. It says here, uh, in the description of the, the, the devil, notice what it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. So in other words, when the laws will be enacted, the laws will not say you worship Satan or you die. There's going to be an element of deception involved. Satan will use deception, and we want to uncover today, what is the deception that the devil will use to force all the world to worship the gods of Babylon, the gods that he is empowering. Now this uh, power in the Bible is so important in the book of Revelation. This system that will be used by Satan to bring about this false worship across the world is so important that the Bible speaks about it more than once. And the Bible speaks about it under different terms. And one of the other terms and symbols that uh, the Bible uses to speak about the same power is in Revelation 17. And of course, this is known as the great whore of Revelation 17. This is how it is described. The angel says to John, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Quite a detailed description of a woman who is described as a great whore. Now, uh, of course, a woman in Bible prophecy represents a church. We find that a pure woman in Bible prophecy represents a pure church, and an impure woman, as is the case here, would represent an impure church. So here we have another insight that this system or this power that will be used by Satan to enforce this false worship is a church system. It's a system that claims worship. Let's see what else we can learn about this. Revelation 17, 18, we'll see how the connection is made. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. This is exactly what the angel said. It said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. So we're talking about the same power. That power of Babylon, that power uh, that is described as the great city, is the same uh, woman, the great whore. It's the same power that the Bible describes for us under different terms, under different symbols, because it is important. Now, of course, when the Bible repeats something, it's because it is important. Now, this 
power is described under many different names. Here's another name for this power uh, that is very popular today. 1 John 2.22 says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Now a lot of people today talk about the Antichrist and who is the Antichrist? And is he here or is he coming in the future? And what's the story with the Antichrist? Well, if you compare Scripture carefully, you find that it's the same power is being talked about. Babylon and the Great War and the Antichrist are different symbols and names that the Bible ascribes to the same system so that we cannot miss it. It's so important. There are a number of names. Uh, as we saw, Babylon, the Great War, it's the first beast in Revelation 13. Even the book of Daniel talks about it under the name of the Little Horn in Daniel chapter 7. And of course, it's the Antichrist. And the great question that a lot of people are asking today that we need to answer and uncover is who is this power? What is this system that is talked about? This corrupt church system. And of course, we don't need to take any guesses about that. There's only one uh, church system that fits the description. And that church system is the one that resides in the Vatican. That's the Church of Rome, the Roman Catholic system. Now, of course, this is not a new or startling information that just surfaced recently. This, over more than a thousand years, has been recognized by Bible students who have studied the prophecies and have known that all the prophecies, when they speak about Babylon, the Antichrist power, they're speaking about the Roman Catholic system. We'll see just some evidence for this, just so we can establish that point from history, and then we'll keep uh, moving. For example, this is the Reformation wall in Geneva that was erected uh, to commemorate the great men who took part in the Reformation. This is what we learn from history. Notice what it says carefully. This identity of Papal Rome with the Antichrist was maintained by Luther, Melanchthon, Calvin, and all the continental reformers. By Latimer, Melanchthon, Calvin, and all the British reformers. By the illustrious Sir Isaac Newton, Meade, Whiston, Bishop Newton, Luth, Dobius, Jurier, Viteringa, Bedel, and a host of equally pious, illustrious, and learned names. The same testimony has been borne in the authorized doctrinal standards of the Episcopal, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, and other churches, both of Europe and America. Continuing. The same doctrine is still taught in the theological school of Geneva by the illustrious Daubigny and Gosson. But and with but here and there a solitary exception by all the most learned professors and clergymen of the present day, connected with the various evangelical denominations of Protestant Christians. This, of course, is uh, the book, The History of Romanism, and it's published in the year 1852. So this is old news. We're not sharing something that just surfaced in, in this century. This is old news. This is standard knowledge that for over a thousand years, Bible students have known the identity of this system, this power that will be used by Satan to deceive the whole world. They've identified it very clearly. And this is not the only testimony, because when we share this with people, a lot of people are surprised. They say, you know, why are you saying these things? But we need to examine history and see carefully what we have missed in history. This knowledge sometimes is not as common today as it was back then. Here's another statement uh, from the book All Roads Lead to Rome, and this is what it says. Wycliffe, Tyndall, Luther, Calvin, Cranmer in the 17th century, Bunyan, the translators of the King James Bible, and the men who published the Westminster and Baptist Confessions of Faith, Sir Isaac Newton, 
Wesley, Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, and more recently Spurgeon, Bishop J.C. Ryle, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. These men, among countless others, all saw the office of the papacy as the Antichrist. Now some of these men here, uh, some of these names that you, we read, you would recognize. These are men that were played a major part in the Reformation. Wycliffe and Tyndall, Luther and Calvin uh, and Kramer. People who have translated Bibles. People who have established denominations that are present today. They trace back their roots. Their founders are some of these people. They were all in harmony, believing that the office of the papacy is that of the Antichrist. It's the same system that the Bible talks about as Babylon in the book of Revelation. It is from this little geographically smallest country in the world that Satan will operate his deadliest deception. Now some might say, well, this information is familiar to us. Why are we looking at this? The reason is the devil will use such deception that we need to really make sure that we are free from his entanglement. And this is what we're going to see today. And it's interesting that from that little uh, city, the Vatican City, it's not even big enough to qualify to be called a country, geographically is the smallest city uh, country in the world, and yet it is the most powerful because we shall see what the devil has been using through that system. Now, of course, remember a few years ago we saw the fulfillment of Bible prophecy uh, in this event. Who remembers seeing this in the news or reading in the newspapers? Do you realize that prophecy was fulfilled before our eyes? When the, the Pope died, we see here a picture of three American presidents, ex-presidents, who went to visit the Pope. One of them was the current president at the time. And the paper article says, world leaders kneel in homage to the Pope. That, friends, was an event that had never, ever occurred before. For the first time in history, American presidents go to the funeral of a Pope. Now, are these men the presidents of the most powerful country in the world? Yes or no? Yes. And they go and pay homage to, to the Pope. Interesting. The Bible tells us that the devil gave this system its power, its seat, and great authority. This authority is exercised if we look carefully. And of course, the next pope that was elected, one of, the one of the first things that he said was that he wants to go around and call everybody into unity. Everybody thought that was a great idea. And of course, this uh, pope has been uh, busy traveling the world since that time, and he's been doing exactly what he said he would do. He's been traveling and he's been calling all the different Christian groups, and sometimes not so Christian, into unity. And just recently, just last year, he actually came right here to our very country. When they had the World Youth Day and they had such turnouts, that it was uh, quite amazing. It was larger than the Olympics. World Youth Day, just recently. And uh, the Pope was welcomed by our very own Prime Minister. Now, you need to take note when we see these things, because the prime minister represents what kind of a power? A religious or a political power? It's political power. And right next to him there, he's welcoming a man who represents a religious power. Now, how many other church leaders come to Australia that get welcomed by the prime minister? No one else. The Pope gets special treatment. Why is that? Because the Pope is playing a very important role. He's empowered by somebody behind him. This system that we're talking about, and we just want to make clear, and as we continue, we'll talk about that as well. We're not talking about the people who believe in that faith. We're talking about that system of faith, the Roman Catholic system. 
the Bible makes very clear, will be used to uh, deceive the world. And of course, his visit to Australia was so influential that uh, the Australian government decided, for the first time in history, to send our very own ambassador to the Vatican. And of course, just in February uh, 13, 2009, the Pope welcomes Ambassador Fisher, our very own first Australian ambassador in the Vatican. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a very interesting development. That uh, Mr. Uh, the Pope and the, the pri uh, Prime Minister must have had a chat, and they must have thought it was, would be a great idea to have a resident ambassador in the Vatican. This was, of course, reported in the news. So we see here that the call for unity is going out, and there are people uniting, coming under that power. Now, on the other hand, the Bible presents to us a group of people who do not go along with this call for unity. A group of people that are distinguished and identified by a very special name. And of course, they're called the 144,000. We read about them in Revelation 14 and verse 1. And this is what it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, very interesting, because we want to put all these pieces of information that we're finding together and uh, have a picture developed by the end of this talk. We saw earlier that the issue in the kingdom of Babylon, literal Babylon, was over what? What was it? It was worship, and it was enforced by laws and decrees by the government. And we saw in the issue in Babylon, in spiritual Babylon, in the last days, it will be over worship, and the worship will go to who? To the devil. This is the God that will be worshipped through that system. And this is why we're talking about the gods of Babylon. Who are they? How can I escape from worshipping the gods of Babylon, from being deceived into worshipping the gods of Babylon? This group of people here do not fall for this deception. This group of people worship the true God, as evidenced by the fact that his name is in their foreheads. Now what does it mean when the Bible says his name is in their foreheads? Of course, nobody goes around writing names on the forehead. That's not a literal Meaning it means in the understanding of these people, they have a, a comprehension and an understanding of who is the God that they're worshipping. And the evidence is, as the Bible records, it's, his name is written in their foreheads. In other words, the God that they worship has his name or imprint in their minds. They have a comprehension of that. Now we want to go back and look at the other group and see, is there anything special about the forehead that is mentioned? Because this is a very interesting contrast. God's people here, Worship the true God, and His name is in their forehead. What about the people that are deceived in the system of Babylon? Is there anything on their forehead? Let's see what the Bible says. Revelation 17.5, speaking about the great whore. Notice what it says. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Very interesting. Both groups are described as having something written on their foreheads. And God's people, the Father's name is written on their foreheads, that's who they worship. The whore and those who are in that system on the forehead is actually the name also of the God that they worship. In the forehead. What's its name? It's called Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. We need to decipher that a little bit because we need to understand clearly because the issue is over worship. Who is being worshipped in this system? Who is the gods or the gods of Babylon that 
are out on a mission to deceive the world. We know, of course, it's Satan, but we need to understand clearly how Satan is bringing that deception. What does Rome say that her central god is? Or in other words, what is this mystery that is the central doctrine of the whore? Because that's what the Bible says. On her forehead is that name written. And of course, we don't need to guess about it. It's very simple. All we have to do is ask that system itself. And the system gives us the answer. Here is a quote from the book, Handbook for Today's Catholic, page 16. And it says, The mystery of the Trinity is the central doctrine of the Catholic faith. Upon it are based all the other teachings of the Church. According to this system, the God that they worship is called the Trinity, and they describe it by saying that it is a mystery. That's exactly what the verse said. Mystery, Babylon, the great. Do you think it's a coincidence that these two words are the same? I don't believe so. It's very interesting that Rome identifies for us that the God they worship, she describes him as being a mystery, and she says it is actually the Trinity. Well, someone might say, what does the Trinity, which all Christians believe, have to do with what's happening in the book of Revelation? Well, this is what we have to answer today. This is what we want to uncover regarding the gods of Babylon. And to uncover that, we want to look a little closer at this term. We saw that mystery, and we saw what Rome says the mystery is. What about when it says mystery, Babylon the Great? What does the word Babylon mean? If you study the Bible, yes, you'll find that the word Babylon means confusion. And particularly, it means confusion by mixing two things. By mixing truth and error. By mixing the holy and the profane. And when you mix truth and error, you end up with confusion. And the sad thing about that is that it is deceptive in its nature. Because the few elements of truth that are in it will deceive people into thinking that it must be all true. Of course, you remember, this is exemplified in the Garden of Eden. Which tree was Adam and Eve, were, they, uh, were Adam and Eve forbidden to eat from? What was the tree called? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that interesting? Babylon has the same characteristic. It mixes good and evil, and it causes confusion. In other words, if we decipher that a little bit, we find that Babylon the Great means it's not a small confusion, it's a great confusion. And this system... This whore system will use the holy and mix it with the profane and ascribe it to her gods. This will cause confusion. And we want to examine this very carefully today. There will be a mixture that will develop. In other words, the dragon through this system will use holy names, even the names of God, and ascribe them to himself to get worship. To get the worship of the people. Because the devil uses deception. If the devil were to come as a devil and say to everyone, worship me, I'm the devil, he would not get much success. He has learned over the years that if he's deceptive and a liar, he gets a lot more followers. So the book of Revelation has been given to us to uncover and unmask the lies of Satan in the last days. Babylon the Great. This will cause much confusion. So if you put all that together, mystery, Babylon the Great, we'll find already that that mystery, as identified by Rome, was what? They told us the mystery is the Trinity. That's what they said. It's a mystery of great confusion. The mystery, of course, is the Trinity. In other words, in the last days, you'll have this condition if we de decipher the name written on her forehead. Mystery, Babylon the Great, or the Trinity and Great Confusion. Now, it's no wonder today, of course, that you find a lot of people, when it comes to this doctrine of the Trinity, they don't all explain it in the same way. 
a lot of people are actually confused over how they explain it. They explain it in different ways and means. And the question is, why are we looking at the issue of the Trinity when we're studying the book of Revelation and issues in the last days? The book of Revelation doesn't talk about the Trinity at all. Why are we looking at this? And the reason is simple. It is what God has given us. We need to go back to the literal stories in the Old Testament to see what we can learn that will shed light on what's happening in the book of Revelation. Remember, the book of Revelation uses the term Babylon because it's pointing us to the lessons that we can learn in Babylon. Of course, if we go to the very original Babylon, we can learn some lessons regarding this issue of worship that will deceive the whole world. Of course, you remember the story after the flood? A group of people uh, led by a man named Nimrod were not too happy dwelling in the mountains and they decided to travel eastward and they traveled and they found the plain of Dura and they had a great idea. They thought they were going to build a city and in the city they were going to build a tower and they're going to make a great name for themselves. Of course, the city was called the city of Babel or Babylon. Of course, the Tower of Babel is a very famous story. Of course, this man Nimrod, uh, as his name means, let us rebel, was leading a rebellion against the true God of heaven. And that rebellion involved a false system of worship. And you see, of course, God was not happy about that, as we uh, can tell, because God actually came down, he confused the languages, and the tower was destroyed. Now, this man Nimrod, to carry on his uh, endeavor, he was uh, aided by his wife. Of course, uh, his wife was called what? Who remembers? His wife was named Semiramis. She has many different names as they uh, travel through, uh, through different cultures. But his wife, Semiramis, of course, was helping him. And in that system of Babylon, this is the original Babylon of all time, we notice that history reveals to us something very interesting about the worship that took place there. Let's see what history reveals in the book. Uh, the Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. This is what it says. The Tower of Babel was actually the worship of Satan. Isn't that interesting? That's history. In the form of fire, the sun, and the serpent. In how many forms? Three forms. However, Satan worship could not be done openly because of the many who still believed in the true God of Noah. So, a mystery religion began at Babel, where Satan could be worshipped in secret. Okay, so this is what was happening in Babylon. You had a mystery religion where Satan was worshipped in secret. Friends, this is exactly what's going to happen in the last days. Satan will use deception and mysteries to deceive people into thinking that they're worshipping the true God when they're actually worshipping him. It's interesting. Of course, uh, Nimrod in establishing the system of Satan worship. Uh, it's called a, system, a mystery system. It wasn't long before he died. It was, it's believed that he, has, he was killed. And uh, after he died, his wife promoted the idea that he had started. She said when he died, he actually went up to the sun. And actually, the sun became a symbol for Nimrod. And of course, these people were worshipped as uh, representations of the god that they worshipped. And the sun became a symbol for the worship of Nimrod, which was really nothing but the worship of Satan. And it wasn't long after that, before his wife Samiramis became pregnant. And then, uh, of course, to explain how she could be pregnant when her husband was dead, she said, well, you know what? A ray of the sun uh, came into me and 
this child is actually Nimrod coming back, or a reincarnation of the sun god. Of course, when the child was born, he was named Tammuz, and he's also mentioned in the Bible. And uh, these three, Nimrod, Tamirimis, and Tammuz, were worshipped as the personification of the sun god in this mystery religion, which was nothing else but Satan worship. This is what history tells us as well, reading on. This is where the first three came into existence. This is what it says, same book, page 51. The Trinity got its start in ancient Babylon with Nimrod, Tammuz, and Semiramis. Semiramis demanded worship for both her husband and her son, as well as herself. She claimed that her son was both the father and the son. He's the same one that went up, he's also come back. Yes, uh, he was God the Father and God the Son, the first divine incomprehensible trinity. This is just history. Now it tells us that this found its origin all the way back there in Babylon. Now it's interesting that when this took place, God of course was not pleased as we saw. God interrupted the work and God uh, dispersed these people by changing their languages because God saw that this system, if it was to take power, it would control the whole world. It would be a one world government ruled from the Tower of Babel. And God saw that this would totally obliterate his truth and so God interfered for your sake and my sake. And the reason why you and me believe any truth at all today is because God interfered in history back then. If it wasn't so, we would have no hope of knowing what truth is. We're thankful for God, for what He did. But when God did that, we noticed that something happened to all the people that were dispersed. This Satan worship or sun worship that began in Babylon, of course, uh, as we saw, they worshipped Satan in the, one of the forms that they worshipped Satan was in the form of the sun. And the representations of the sun god were the founders of that religion, Nimrod, his wife, and the child that came in later. This first trinity, this worship of three, we find continued to be carried through all the different cultures that dispersed from Babylon. Of course, the trinity that was present in Babylon at the time was the worship of Nimrod, Tammuz, and Semiramis. But as the languages were confused in the Tower of Babel, and as the languages were changed, we find something very, very interesting developed. The same concepts and principles that were present in Babylon traveled in the different cultures, but they took on different names because everybody was now speaking a different language. And we find a very interesting uh, thing develop. In Egypt, we find that the worship in Egypt ultimately had a trinity at its head, but their names were Osiris, Horus, and Isis, or sometimes Ra. In Greece, we find also, at the very top, three, that is Zeus, Apollo, and Athena. In India, we find Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. In Rome, we find Jupiter, Mars, and Venus. And of course, the list is not comprehensive. In all the many different cultures and pagan systems of worship, we find that the ultimate worship of their gods ends up in three. And the common denominator between all these is that they all started at the very same place. But now, because they spoke different languages, it had different names. And when Nimrod died, Samaramis said that Nimrod went up to the sun. But of course, because they worshipped uh, the sun god, they found that uh, the sun was a very fitting symbol for the god that they worshipped, Satan. 
they saw that they got heat and uh, warmth, uh, light, and uh, life basically was dependent on the sun. And so the sun became the supreme object and symbol for the God that they worshipped, who they believed was their benefactor. And they noticed that the sun had three distinct stages, and so it fit very well with their system of belief, because they were already worshipping three. And so this was incorporated into this mystery religion, into the worship of Satan. History confirms that again for us, here we're told, three became the most universal number of deities. Sun worship is one of the most primitive forms of religion, and early man sometimes distinguished between rising, midday, and setting sun. The Egyptians, for example, divided the sun god into three deities, Horus and the rising sun, Ra and midday sun, and Osiris at the old setting sun. It all started in Babylon. Of course, as each different group traveled, they took the same concepts, but now they had different names. A very important point to keep in mind. Same principles and concepts that come from Babylon traveled in the different cultures and had different names. This is important for us in the last days, as we shall see. And of course, they incorporated these, uh, this, these beliefs into their artwork as well, because it was what kind of a religion? It was a secret mystery religion. Not everybody knew, really, who was worshipped. Not everybody understood that it was Satan who was worshipped. And so you find little symbols, as we shall see later, such as here on their heads, the little circles. These were more than just decorations. They were symbols representing the God that they worshipped, the sun god, or Satan, in its three forms, or three different stages. Of course, the three stages of the sun, uh, they found that it was a very fitting symbol for the God that they worshipped. It was a three-in-one God. All three were, of course, the sun, but uh, they had three distinct stages, but they were still all one. And it became known as the three-in-one God. And they noticed that in order to represent this sun God properly, if they were co to combine the three phases of the sun into one, it would be a picture of what they really believed. The God that they worshipped, the sun God, the three-in-one. One. And of course you put all the three parts together and you have one. And this symbol, this picture became a symbol for the sun god or who is really behind that worship. It is none other than Satan. And of course this was very, very effective because they would use that to disguise their true religion. They would use that as a representation. Of course these three interlocking circles, they found that they formed this very interesting triangle. An equilateral triangle, a triangle with three equal sides. Now, if you studied geometry at all in school, remember, I don't know if you had to do this, we did, you had to measure the angle of each triangle. Remember doing that? And you measure the angles, and all the angles add up to how much? Uh, we have different answers here. Who remembers geometry? All the angles would have to add up to 108, isn't that right? Of course, uh, depending on the different length of each side, you would find that uh, uh, the angles would change. But something very interesting was noticed about this triangle that had each side equal, because each side was representing a phase of the sun, equilateral triangle. They found that each angle in an equilateral triangle was exactly 60 degrees. Now, it doesn't take a genius to take the next step and realize that 60 and 60 and 60 is represented by... Six, six, six. 
So very interestingly, these pagans would use these numbers and these pictures to hide the worship that they are giving to Satan. And so sun worship or Satan worship became the worship of 666. It became the religion of 666. Now some people might not think much of that number, except that it is mentioned in the Bible. And in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, which we're looking at today, the number 666 is mentioned. And it's, we're told that it's the number of a system. Now here we're finding the roots and origins of this system. Archaeology has uncovered this number present in many archaeological diggings from Babylon. System of 666. It was a system of sun worship, system of devil worship. Now interestingly enough, if we take just a little side detour, we looked at history, we look back now at present time. One of the titles, the official titles of the system of Babylon, or the system of the Roman uh, Catholic faith, is mentioned here in the book, Our Sunday Visitor. We're told the official title of the papacy is Vicarious Philidae, or Vicar of the Son of God. Now, of course, this title is in which language? In the Latin language. Now, Latin language has something very interesting about it. Every letter has a value. Now, all you have to do is put out all these letters in the Latin language, and you'll add them all up. Of Vicarious Philidae, with every value of each letter. This is not something that was made up. This is standard Latin. Every letter in the Latin language has a value. This is the right value. And you add all these values up of the official title of the papacy, and you'll come up to a number that, interestingly enough, is exactly 666. Now, from history, we find that this 666 number was the worship of the sun, God, that started all the way in Babylon. You see now why the Bible uses in the book of Revelation the name Babylon regarding this system. It has exactly the same uh, number incorporated in its very name. In other words, something is hidden beneath the surface that the Bible wants us to look at to reveal, to understand who is really behind this system, this system of 666 or sun worship. Of course, the pagans used to love this. They do all kinds of things with their symbols and they put the little symbols together and hide more and more what they believed in so that it would be only known to the initiates. Of course, these three interlocking sections uh, or circles is known uh, It's a symbol that is called the triketra, the three interlocking disks or three interlocking circles. And they found that the three interlocking sections, of course, uh, can easily be substituted for the whole so that each part of each circle would be used rather than the whole. That would make the picture more interesting, perhaps, or more complex. And it would still represent the three-in-one sun god, Satan. And so, of course, this is how they would draw it. Uh, three, all in one, in a circle. Now, this symbol, of course, is found throughout uh, different cultures, throughout different pa uh, pagan systems of beliefs. And this symbol is actually still alive and well to this very day. Let's look at a few examples just to see how the devil is bringing this in. Of course, it can be represented and uh, drawn in many different ways. You can be quite artistic about it, uh, how they would incorporate it into their different temples and shrines and in their wall paintings and etchings and carvings. And uh, we're told a little more about this symbol, what it stands for, where it comes from. Notice carefully, this is just confirmation for what we found. We're told the Triketra, which is this symbol here, is a satanic symbol that has its origins in the occult, or the secret ancient mystery uh, religions. 
It has always been associated with pagan beliefs, satanic practices, and witchcraft. That's quite serious. The triketra is composed of three sixes overlaid. And this is how it is uh, deciphered. Here is one and two and three interlocking sixes. And they thought, wow, that's a magnificent idea. You know, the, the symbol for the sun god also has the 666 in it. Great idea. Nobody will know. And it was a secret uh, religion practiced by all these pictures and symbols that they would use. Uh, continuing, it says, this logo is the ancient symbol for the pagan trinity. We found where that started all the way back in Babylon. The symbol was popularized again by Satanist Alistair Crowley for the royal arch or Lucifer of the third degree of the York Order of Masonry. Otherwise, this symbol is actually still used today by some secret societies that are alive and well to this day. Interestingly enough, and we're finding now the history, we're just tracing this from its very start in history and traveling and seeing how it progresses down to our time, which will help us unmask the deception regarding worship that Satan will deceive the whole world with. For example, you can find this symbol in some of the most interesting places. Here is one of them. This is Wiccan. Wiccan is another word for witchcraft. Uh, Full-size chalices and goblets. Now you can buy these for $20 each. And you can find different colors if you want. If you're a witch and you'd like to practice your witchcraft, you can use a chalice. What's that symbol on it? It's the symbol of the sun god, Satan. 666. Why is that? Because witches communicate with... It's not surprising for us to see that symbol there. Uh, it's sad that this still happens, but it is, this is modern day now. This is not no longer ancient history. It's actually from a website that sells uh, products and, and uh, different things that uh, witches can use. Now, this symbol, again, is used uh, in their regalia. For example, this is uh, Harper's Encyclopedia of Mystical and Paranormal Experiences, and this is what it says. Symbols are important to all esoteric teachings, for they contain secret Wisdom accessible only to the initiated. Now here is a symbol on the witch's gown. What's that symbol there? It's exactly the same thing. Now, this is the important point. Normally, people look at this symbol and think, well, that's a pretty decoration. Not realizing that the symbol is actually containing secret wisdom. Secret uh, meanings that are only accessible to the initiates. What we're doing is uncovering the meaning behind these symbols. So we can understand what is happening. Because not only is the symbol a problem, but what the symbol stands for. The principles and concepts that this symbol rep represents. The sun god. Again, it's uh, also present on television shows. This is a television uh, series called Charm. And this is the symbol they use. It's a, interesting enough, it's a television series about three witches. Not four or two, three witches. And the symbol that they use is a symbol of the sun god, the three in one god. You think that's coincidence? No, the world is being trained to accept something. Which is why we need to be very selective with what we watch uh, and what we uh, expose ourselves to. Here's another one. The Aquarian Conspiracy, a book about the new age. Here we have three interlocking arcs or discs, three interlocking sixes. Here's another one, the craft. A witch's book of shadows. What's that symbol there in large? Same symbol. The symbol of the sun god. The three in one. Symbol for Satan. And it's called a witch's book of shadows. They make the issue very plain. They don't hide who their loyalties belong to. 
Of course, we find this, we can trace it all the way in the different cultures and in history. In Egypt, for example, I'm sorry, in Babylon we find, this is where it started, and archaeological diggings from Babylon revealed to us some very interesting things. Notice what's present there on the stone. It's a little triangle. Now, what do you think the significance of that triangle might be? Is that a nice piece of decoration? Or does it represent something else? Remember, symbols were used by the pagans to represent secret wisdom. The symbol of the triangle here represents the sun god that is worshipped in Babylon. The three in one, the 666 religion. Of course, that's why you have up the top there a big disc of the sun, because that's the ultimate god that they worship. And of course, in different cultures and different uh, uh, people that traveled from Babylon, you find the same thing. For example, this is in uh, Buddhism. You find this statue of Buddha having how many faces? Three faces. Now you have to stop and ask yourself, you know, why is it always three? There has to be some reason. This can't just be coincidence. Now, of course, we're sharing this uh, in uh, Fiji, and there are a lot of Hindus and Buddhists. This is in uh, Hinduism as well. A lot of Hindus in, in Fiji, and they, they were scratching their head because they, they thought there's three in all the other cultures. Why are they all similar? What is the common denominator? And the common denominator is they all got their start in the same place. They took the same concepts that were learned in Babylon of the three-in-one sun god, and they were remodeled and renamed and placed in the different cultures. Of course, this is not the only place. Here's a picture of that temple. And here are the three gods of uh, the Indian triad. One, two, three. Three symbols for the god that is ultimately worshipped. And uh, here's another picture. All three overshadowed by one. You know, if you can just decipher the pictures, you can read a lot of uh, information into what the pictures mean. Three. Why is it always three? Not two and not four. Three in one. One in three. Here it is again in Hinduism. And they don't hide what these pictures represent. Here are three. And notice what's around each head. A little yellow halo, which tells us that they must be holy. Isn't that right? Well, this uh, yellow halo actually represents the sun god. It has nothing to do with being holy or not holy. The system of Rome adopted the same uh, symbol, and now you see saints with a circle or a halo around their head. And we think, oh, this, this must mean they're very holy. Uh, that is not from the Bible. That comes from Babylon. That's where the origin of it is. In Egypt, of course, uh, we find the same thing. Here are the three. And over their heads, we find the symbol of the sun god. Same system, traveled in different cultures, took on different names, but maintained the same principles that were learned in Babylon. It's a system of Satan and sun worship. Now, God was not pleased whatsoever with this worship uh, of the sun god, especially through the symbols and the pictures. A very interesting verse in the Bible, Numbers 33:52. God gave his people instruction to do something. He said, then to the children of Israel... When they were to come into the promised land. Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quite like down all their high places. Isn't that an interesting verse? God says, I want you, when you go in, among all the other things that you will do, I want you to make sure you destroy their pictures. Because pictures was used by pagans to represent the God that they worship, the sun God. 
God was not pleased at all with all these little pictures and triketras and sun symbols. He instructed his people to destroy them. His people did that, and sometimes they would backslide. But it's interesting that this triketra is not only present among witchcraft, on TV series, and uh, in all these places. The triketra actually finds its place in the most unexpected places to this day. For example, you will find this symbol on the New King James Version of the Bible having the triketra on it. Now, does anybody here have a New King James Bible? Yeah, well, if you open your New King James, you'll find that symbol there. When we were in uh, Fiji sharing, one sister saw that and, and she got worried. And she went to her Bible and she went, I wonder if mine has an, Im an image or not. And uh, we're not condemning the Bible when we say this Bible has this picture on it. But we're finding that this idea and this symbol finds its way onto the Bible where it does not belong. This is a symbol, not of the God of the Bible, but of the Sun God. Now, if you open your Bible to the first page or so, we'll tell you a little bit about this uh, picture or this symbol. It'll tell you this is called the Triketra, and it's uh, the ancient symbol of the Trinity. And here we're finding the origins of where that comes from. Friends, God is not pleased with this. These pictures were instructed to destroy. This is a symbol of Satan, the three-in-one Sun God. This is a symbol of the worship of the devil. It's on the Bible. Don't throw the Bible out. I had one of these. I just rubbed the picture out. And I kept the Bible. Uh, here is another location where we can find this symbol. This is a cathedral window, stained glass window. And uh, do you see anything interesting there? You see a symbol of the Sun God. Now we find it in churches. It's on the Bible and it's in churches. But friends, the deception is a lot closer than what we think. You know, many times we think, yeah, these were pagan people. Yes, they're all sun worshippers. We're Christians. We have the Bible. Yet even with this confidence, we can be deceived. And I wonder how many people, for example, will go worship in this cathedral, who look up at the stained glass window and understand, oh yes, that's the sun god symbol. How many people do you think you know that? Hardly one in a hundred. Not even maybe one in a thousand. People are ignorant of what these things mean because they were designed to contain secret wisdom accessible only to the initiates. That's why we're uncovering that uh, today. Here's another uh, church, and here's another lovely uh, window. And what's there at the top? Three interlocking circles, the symbol of the sun god. And friends, when we share these things, we're not condemning the people that go to these churches. Many of these people have no idea that these symbols mean that. And yet, they need to be told. They need to understand. This is why we're sharing what we're sharing. They need to uh, know these things. For example, recently when uh, I was visiting uh, uh, Fiji, and we shared this with a brother in Fiji, and boy, they got a real surprise. Uh, I was walking downtown Fiji. I came into a, a church. It was a cathedral. And I walked in, and uh, as soon as I walked in the door, this is what I saw. It's called the Holy Trinity Cathedral. And what's that there? It's a triangle, an equilateral triangle. Now, friends, we found this triangle in the archaeological diggings that came all the way from Babylon. It's a symbol of the sun god that was worshipped in Babylon. Now it's used in churches. This is, of course, called the Holy Trinity Churches in downtown Suva. I looked up at the window, and lo and behold, we have three interlocking circles. Symbol of the sun god. You can look at it outside as well. And there it is. And you know, when we share this with the people, 
most people had walked past that uh, church building, and they'd never thought, why does the window look like that? They just thought, well, it looks pretty. But it has a meaning behind it. Not only is the meaning uh, hidden, but people worship God, because this is a symbol of the God that is worshipped, because we're told it's a symbol of the Trinity. They worship God with a concept and an understanding that is really questionable. This is why we're looking at that today. It's not the only place. Uh, I think that that was an Anglican uh, church. It's a cathedral church. It was an Anglican church. And of course, there were some Anglicans present. And we said, you know, how many Anglicans here knew that this is what it means? And none of them knew. Some were actually very thankful to hear the origins of some of these pictures. And uh, this is not confined only to one group or one Christian church. We're not attacking any church here. But we're making a point that people who go to these places need to understand the origins of these things. They need to be informed so that they can understand the gods of Babylon, who they are, and how Satan has used deception to bring them into the churches. Here's another place I walked in. I looked all over the walls and the windows, and they were clean. So I thought, whoa, this must be good. Then I looked down at the pews, and lo and behold, we have a symbol there on the pews. Uh, again, we ask people that go to this church, how many people who go and sit on that pew do you think really know what that means? Not many. Hardly anyone, perhaps. That was, of course, from the St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. You see, friends, Satan has been successful. Not only has he deceived the pagans, but he's infiltrated the churches with the symbols that represent him, the Son God. The people who love Jesus, who want to worship him, who are present in these churches, who are not aware of the deception that is practiced upon them. That's why we're sharing this. And, of course, went to, to the main uh, cathedral there, this is a Roman Catholic church in downtown Suva, very familiar landmark, and what you find there, this is a bit hard to see, but just there you find a symbol that has three interlocking circles. It's a symbol of the triketra. Of course, if you want to find the lion, you look in his den and he's right there. This is the, the system that is leading the whole world into the worship of Satan, we're told in, uh, in the Bible, they will worship the dragon. Here we're seeing how dragon worship will be practiced through deception. It's a symbol for the sun god. Now notice what is uh, admitted here by the Roman Catholic system. This is the Athanasian Creed quoted in the New Catechism. This is what it says. Now notice carefully, because here is where deception, a lot of people don't pick it. It says, now this is the Catholic faith. We worship one god in the Trinity and the Trinity in unity, without either confusing the persons or dividing the substance. For the person of the Father is one, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. But the Godhead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. This is the God that is worshipped in the Roman Catholic system. They're worshipping a God who is a three in one, and one in three. Now, some people, many Christians, when they hear this, they say, well, this is what the Bible teaches, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we worship. But friends, remember, the devil is using a deception in the last days. The deception is deceptive in that it is so close to the truth, but just a little bit off. This concept, we find, does not originate in God's Word. We found that it came all the way from Babylon. But notice carefully what happened. It's the same concept that came from Babylon, the three-in-one but now it is assuming biblical names. 
same idea, but biblical names. It makes it very, very deceptive. This is how it is uh, portrayed. This is a book. Now it's a Christian book. It's called The Trinity, Rediscovering the Central Christian Mystery. There's that word again. You know, now that we've looked at the history, some of these things just jump out at you and, and you realize what they really mean. And on the cover there, they have a symbol of a picture of supposedly the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now notice what's there around their heads. Have we seen that anywhere else? Why, this is exactly how the Hindus paint their gods. What's the problem, friends? The same concept has infiltrated the church, but now it's assumed holy and biblical names. And so a lot of people accept it without knowing really where it comes from. This is why it's important to understand who we worship. Because Satan will use this false system of worship uh, to deceive the whole world. Here's another book called The Trinity. What's the symbol on the book there? It's not even disguised. That's the symbol of the Son God. And it's even color-coded there. It's colored as the flames of fire. It's a symbol of the Son God and it's called Understanding God's Love and His Plan of Salvation and Christian Relationships. And it's authored by one, two, three authors. Maybe if you use three authors, it'll just work. Who knows? But it's interesting. Now, friends, this is very, very serious. The, this book is not a book that is uh, in the ancient past. This is published recently, just a few years ago. This, the symbol that is on the cover of the book is the symbol of the sun god. What is the sun god called in modern days now? It's called the Trinity. That's what it is. As evidenced by the fact that the, you know a picture speaks a thousand words. Here is a picture that speaks a thousand words. And if we look in history, we find the origin of that. Now notice carefully how this is confirmed as we look at some of the conclusions that this book draws. In this book, page 173, it says the following. The oneness in nature and character of the three persons of the Godhead raises the very useful question of prayer, praise, and worship. What's the issue in the last days? Worship. Now this book is now going to address the issue of worship in relation to this God that is on the cover. Notice what it says. But what about direct prayer to the Holy Spirit? While we have no clear example of or direct command to pray to the Spirit in Scripture, doing so does have in principle some implicit biblical support. It only seems logical that God's people can pray directly to and worship the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but this statement is a prime example of self-contradiction. In other words, they said, look, you know, what about prayer to the Holy Spirit? They said, the Bible doesn't tell us to do it. There's no example, but we think it's biblical. Well, friends, you can have it either one way or the other. You can't have the Bible not supporting you in doing something and then still believe it's biblical. Uh, that just doesn't work. Now, why is this an issue? What, what about prayer and praise to the Holy Spirit? Now, this is why it's important for you, especially if you're new, to help yourself some of the books or DVDs or watch some of the other things that are available. To see what does the Bible say about worship? Who do we worship and who don't we worship? This is an issue that you really need to understand if you don't want to be deceived in the last days. And we find very plainly that the Bible never anywhere, as is admitted, instructs us to worship three. Never instructs us to worship the Holy Spirit. We only worship one God, the Father. And we do that through His Son who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no man cometh to the Father but by me. 
And we honor the Son in the same way that we honor the Father and no one else. But see, friends, this is the problem. This concept, those who accept and adopt this concept, the Son God, uh, you become enslaved to have to worship in the same way. You have to worship the three in one and the one in three. And so you have to step out of the bounds of Scripture and accept non-biblical uh, propositions such as worshiping the Holy Spirit and admit they're not biblical. The reason why they're doing this, they're obviously telling you we're not worshiping the Holy Spirit because the Bible tells us. The reason that they're not telling you is they are slaves to this concept that comes all the way from Babylon. That's why it's happening. That's when you start doing things that the Bible does not support you. Very, very uh, dangerous. Now this book, of course, uh, is published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, interestingly enough. So deception comes a lot closer even to our very doors. This is why it's important for people to understand who they worship, even if they go to church, even if they go to a Bible-believing church, because the deception is so close to the true in the last days. Here is how it is represented. The Trinity as portrayed in the Bible, one God consisting of three fully divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is the symbol that is used to represent it. Friends, this is the same problem that happened when the different pagan cultures left Babylon. They adopted the same principles and concepts of Babylon under different names. This is exactly what's happening here. The concepts, and this, this, uh, when you say this to people, they, they are shocked. The concepts that come all the way from Babylon, the three in one and one in three, is now adopted biblical names. And the fact that it's not biblical is that the very ones who promote and believe that doctrine tell you that to practice some of the practices in it, when it comes to worship, they admit that it's not biblical. That's quite a startling admission. It's an admission that should cause each and every one of us to seriously ponder. This is why in Revelation 13, 16, we have a very interesting issue that is closely connected with that. And our time is running, so we're going to speed up because we just have a few more points just to connect it with the issue that will be present in the last days. This is a connection a lot of people do not uh, perhaps realize or understand, and it's very important to the issue of worship. The beast that causes the whole world to worship it, and the image that is set up, also will do something else. It says, and he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. Now, of course, this in the Bible is known as the mark Sorry, of the beast. And this mark of the beast is none other than a sign of allegiance to the God that they worship. You see, these two issues are connected. Who you worship and the mark are connected. The mark identifies your allegiance to who you worship. Of course, a lot of people today ask, what is the mark of the beast? It's not that hard to understand once you see uh, some of the evidence that we have shared. The mark of the beast has their... Uh, deals directly with the God that is worshipped. In other words, if we were to look at the pagan systems of sun worship, when they worshipped the sun god, because we see this is the issue in the last days, or when they worshipped Satan under the symbol of the sun god, they had a very specific, special, commemorative day to worship the sun god. What special day do you think was dedicated to the sun god? It doesn't need a genius to figure out. It was called the sun day or the day of the sun. History tells us that. Sunday was already a day exalted among the heathen, being a day on which they worshipped who? The sun. Where did that start? In Babylon. 
Sun worship is none other than Satan worship. Very interesting. Here we find, uh, in one brief look, the origins of Sunday worship. It comes not from Scripture, but from the same place that the Sun God comes from. Now the Sun God has come and today uh, takes on biblical names. And the same day that he is worshipped on comes and takes on a biblical argument to say that it comes from the Bible. Sunday was exalted among the heathen to worship the Sun God. It's the day that you showed your loyalty and allegiance to the Sun God. Now the Roman Catholic system recognizes and realizes that the God they worship and the day they worship the God they worship are very closely linked together. Notice what we ask, uh, what uh, we find the answer when we ask this question to the Roman Catholic system. You see, we found earlier that this beast power, or this system of Babylon, system of Antichrist, pointed to none other than the system of Roman Catholicism. And in the Bible we're told that in the last days they're going to have, uh, there's going to be a mark of the beast. Now it's interesting that the beast himself can tell us what their mark is. And it makes perfect sense in light of what we found. For example, we have this quote. It says, of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change from Saturday Sabbath to Sunday was her act. And the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical authority in religious things. Here's another one. Sunday is our mark of authority. Why is that? Because Sunday is the day dedicated to the God that they worship. They told us they worship the Trinity. It's a mystery. And the symbols that we saw in their churches, we found, have their origin all the way in Babylon. The Bible told us Babylon is actually worshipping the dragon, not the true God. And so when we compare all these things, we have a very frightful picture that develops. And now they're telling us why they have introduced Sunday, because it's the loyalty to their God. Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible. Do you believe that? I don't. And this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. This is so important to them. They were told Catholic reasons for keeping Sunday because it is a day dedicated by the apostles to the honor of the most holy trinity. You see the connection here, friends, between Sunday worship and the God that is worshipped, the sun God. And we saw that the modern day name for the sun God is the trinity. That's what we saw on the cover of that book. They put a picture of the sun God and say this is called the trinity. Here we see the connection. A lot of people in the last days are aware that the issue will be over which day you worship. But it's more than which day you worship, it will be which God you worship. And the day will signify your allegiance to which God? The sun God or the true God. Here's another statement. Is not every Christian obliged to sanctify Sunday and to abstain on that day from unnecessary servile work? Is not the observance of this law among the most prominent of our sacred duties? But you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you will not find a single line authorizing sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday, a day which we never sanctify. This is from Cardinal Gibbons, the faith of our fathers, and the pages are given there. So they're telling you they did not get Sunday worship from the Bible. Where did they get it from? From Babylon. They got it, it came along with the God of Babylon. And it's interesting to say, Saturday is the true day that the scripture enforces. It's a day we never sanctify. You know why they never sanctify? Because they're not worshipping the God of Sabbath. 
They're worshipping another god. They're worshipping the sun god. And the sun god has his own day. See, friends, the issue in the last days is more than just which day do you worship. It's which god do you worship. This was, of course, a fulfillment of prophecy that this little horn, pa uh, horn power in Daniel 7.25, he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. And this system has thought to change the law of God when it comes to the true worship of God. And the dogma of the Trinity tells us, this is in uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia, in an article called The Blessed Trinity, the Trinity is the central doctrine of the Christian religion. Rome claims that the Trinity is the central doctrine of the Christian religion. You know what? To a large degree, this is true. Sadly, the majority of Christians believe in exactly the same doctrine. It's called the Trinity. Has Satan been successful? Yes. Rome now is bold. You know, earlier we saw, they said, the Trinity is the central uh, pillar of our faith. Everything in our faith is built on this. Now they say, you know what? It's everybody's central pillar. Remember, the Pope is in a mission to do what? To unite everyone. Now, the Bible tells us they're not going to unite together to do anything but practice worship. And that this worship will go to, sorry, Satan. And this worship will involve a day that is dedicated to the sun god. Notice, for example, this organization. A very interesting organization. It's called the World Council of Churches. And what it is, basically... It's a club for all the churches to come together and come under one umbrella. Now, of course, for you as a church, if you would like to join this club or this organization, to be a member of the World Council of Churches, uh, you can't just join them just because you're a church. You have to qualify. Uh, there are certain requirements. And some of the requirements uh, are mentioned on their uh, own website. For example, according to the World Council of Churches Constitution, agreement with the basis upon which the council is founded is a precondition for membership. So your church, before they can join the World Council of Churches, they have to qualify. They have to agree to the uh, basis upon which the council is founded. A later study, continuing by a central committee, concluded that there was no need to change the basis, though it was necessary to explain its meaning and also make clear that the Trinity was implicit in it. So if you are a church and you'd like to join the World Council of Churches, you must at least believe in the why? Because they're all uniting to worship the same God. If it wasn't for the Bible uncovering this deception for us, we would be deceived. Now, if your church does not worship this God, can you join the World Council of Churches? No, you wouldn't qualify because you're worshiping someone else. You see, friends, this is why this man has been traveling the world, this old gentleman, uh, has been traveling the world promoting the God that they worship through the loyalty, through, through the sign of loyalty to their God, promoting the day on which they worship their God, the Sun Day. He is the public relations man for the Sun God. For example, in uh, 2005, uh, the Pope said, without Sunday we cannot live. Now we're told that in the last days there's going to be a law made that will enforce worship. And the law that will be made enforcing worship will relate to which day you worship. It will force the mark of loyalty or allegiance, the mark of the beast, the Sunday, it will be forced by law upon the whole world to claim their loyalty and allegiance to the sun god. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar did in Babylon. In uh, 2007, September, 
The Pope said Sunday worship is a necessity for all. This was just a recent thing. Here's another one. This is uh, the Pope again. He says, the EU must keep Sunday, says the Catholic Church. And this is November 18, 2008. Is it close? Yes. The man is on a mission to unite the whole world to worship the sun god. To worship the sun god on this day. On the Sunday. This is why it's important for you to understand who you worship. And this is why God, in loving mercy, in the last call to the world, says in Revelation 14.7, about the first angel, this is what he says, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of water. The issue is over worship in the last days. Who will you worship? God's seal is the direct opposite of the mark of the beast. And just as the mark of the beast is the sign of loyalty and allegiance to the God that is worshipped, the seal of God is the sign of loyalty and allegiance to the true God. Now, of course, in any seal you find these three elements, the name and the title and the territory of the seal holder. And if you look in one place in Scripture, you find this presence. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11, the fourth commandment, this is exactly where the angel was quoting from. It says, Worship him that made heaven and earth the sea and the fountains of waters. He was referring to the fourth commandment, which says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. See, friends, the keeping of the seventh day Sabbath has a sign of allegiance and loyalty to the true Creator God. And God's seal is actually contained in that very Sabbath commandment because in that fourth commandment we find the name of God, the Lord or Jehovah, His title as Maker and Creator, and His territory as heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Just as the mark of the beast is the sign of loyalty and allegiance to the sun god, it's the Sunday, the sign of loyalty and allegiance to the true God is His true seventh-day Sabbath. This is what the sign is. The Bible tells us that plainly. Exodus 20, uh, Ezekiel sorry, 20, verse 12. It says, Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. That they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. Do you know who it is that sanctified them? This is why the angel says, Fear God, give glory to Him, worship Him. Because the issue in the last days will involve a deception over worship. This is why today we looked at the literal and the spiritual. And we saw some incredible lessons and parallels between the two. What has happened before will happen again. This is where we get the saying, history repeats itself because the Bible tells us that there is nothing new under the sun. And the same group of people that stood up against the gods of Babylon and they said to the king, we will not worship your gods, represent a group of people in the last days who will stand up against the false system of worship, and they will say, we will not worship the gods of Babylon. Today we have exposed the gods of Babylon, their origin, and how they've infiltrated into the churches even. Who will stand like these three boys? We need to understand carefully who we worship. Uh, this is why we invite you, as I said before, if you're hearing this for the first time or you're new to this, please help yourself to some of the literature and material available, or you can... Uh, correspond with us and ask us for more. You see, well, if this is the false, what does the Bible reveal as the true? What is the true uh, revelation that God has given of Himself? The decision is always 
yours. All we can do is offer the information so we can all make an intelligent decision because the deception is very close to home. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.